boys, if you take a seat. Um, I'm going to be honest, I'm thrown out a bit. Um, normally I'm, I'm pretty calm and collective, but um, somewhere somehow on this sermon here, just um, where I thought we were going to end up, it's just blah, blah. So I'm just saying that, so there's my disclaimer. <coughs> However, um, this morning what I want to talk about is I want to talk about grace, righteousness, and sin. God's intention for his people is that we would rule and reign in life. God does not want us to live a life of failure or a defeated life. God has called us to be the head and not the tail. Whatever it is we do in life, we are destined to rule because Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. And when we rule in life, we rule over sin, we rule over the powers of darkness, we rule over depression, over poverty, and over every curse of sickness and disease. And we rule over all of the devil's devices. This power to rule is not dependent on us or our history or our bank account or what we are or not qualified to do. And nor is it dependent upon positive thinking. This power to rule is dependent upon Jesus Christ alone. This sounds nice. sounds right and even sounds biblically based and yet in all honesty Christians struggle to rule over sin to rule over the powers of darkness to rule over depression to rule over poverty and to rule over every curse of sickness and disease they are not the head leading in their circumstances they are the tail being dictated to And I believe that for most Christians in this situation, it is because of an incorrect foundation. So this morning, my heart is is that we would walk out today knowing what the correct foundation for a New Testament Christian should be. To do that, we'll look at grace, righteousness, and sin. These words, grace, righteousness, and sin, are words that are common to hear in Christian environments. But just because we hear these words frequently, we can be misled into thinking that we know what they mean. What is grace? According to Easton and Webster Dictionary, this is grace. Favor. Can I have that slide for grace? Cool. Favor, goodwill, kindness, the mind and character of one person to help or please another the free, undeserved love and approval of God. What is righteousness? Again, according to the Eastern and Webster Dictionary, righteousness is defined as, can I have that up please? And the first thing it says is see justification. And I'm reading out the names of the dictionaries that I'm using because these dictionaries are are Christian-based for Christian terminology. So I'm looking up in a Christian dictionary, I'm looking up the word righteousness, and the first thing it says to me is see justification. So this is the definition for justification. It's the opposite to condemnation. 
It is the appropriate administration of justice by God in a court of law in which he pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ and accepts and treats them as righteous in the eyes of the law. The law is not relaxed or set aside, but it is declared fulfilled in the strictest sense so that the justified person is declared entitled to all the advantages and rewards arising from perfect obedience to the law. I'm going to be honest, I wrote that out, and the first thing that my head went was blah, 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 blah. Why? This is why, because the definition is a mouthful. And when we have a mouthful, we can miss details. As we proceed, I hope that this definition will become much more easier to understand. Because don't forget, I'm talking about foundations as a Christian. And if there's one key point I can make about this definition right here, it's this. Take note that there are words that could be used in a court of law. Condemnation. Appropriate administration of justice. Pardons. Declared entitled. And in all honesty, if we're going to be the Christian that God wants us to be, where we rule and reign in life, we have to get our heads around this definition because you can't without it. What is sin? Next slide, please. According to the Eastern and Webster Dictionary, sin is the infringement. That's another legal word. Sin is the infringement or sin is the breaking of the divine law. Sin is also an offense against the lawgiver. When we sin, we're not just breaking or infringing the law. We offend against the lawgiver. God is the lawgiver, and when we sin, he takes it personally. If your version of grace or righteousness or sin is not close to the definitions that I've given you, or you find that very difficult to explain to somebody else what grace or what righteousness or what sin is, then I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. You've probably got cracks in your foundation. I'm not judging. I'm being as honest as a carpenter to a person wanting a house built. It doesn't matter how flash and how much money you have. If you don't get the foundation right, it will eventually crack, putting pressure on the areas of the house that aren't made to bear it, throwing plumb lines out, making it ugly to look at, and then in due course come crashing back down. Everything that I share today is from the Bible. I say this because there may be some things that I say that may change what you have believed for a very long time. I don't have a sermon that follows nicely. I just have some facts that are Bible-based. So let's, let's start with the Bible and the hope of understanding it better. This is my Bible. <clears throat> it comes in book form. And in it, I have an introduction, I have a glossary, and I have maps, and I have a story. The story starts with Genesis, and it ends with Revelations. And that story is then broken into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Another word for testament is contract, which is another legal word. So I could say my, my Bible is broken into the old contract and the new contract. 
With the old contract or Old Testament, it is between God and the people of Israel. This contract was written up by God. It came with an offer, acceptance, consideration, and intention. The offer. Exodus 19.5 tells us, God says to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves what I did to the Egyptians, how I lifted you up and brought you to myself. Here's the offer. Now if you obey my voice and keep my contract, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, and you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That was the offer. The acceptance. Exodus 19 verse 8. All the people answered together saying, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The consideration. The consideration is something of value both parties can exchange. In this case, the exchange was love. The Israelites received a God that loved them, and God received a nation of people that loved him. And what was the intention? To create a relationship. And later, consequences were added because there was some serious breach of contract going on from the Israelites, Deuteronomy 26 and 27. I just want to take a moment. I want to take a moment here because it could look like it's an unfair contract. It could look like God wrote up this contract knowing the people would infringe upon it and then penalize them for it. The acceptance part of the contract, Exodus 19.8, tells us the people said to Moses, go tell God everything he says to do, we will do. They agreed to the terms of the contract without even knowing what the terms were. I don't know if there's anybody in their right mind in a job situation that's going to sign a contract without knowing what the terms were. What were the terms for the Israelites? It's the Ten Commandments. The Israelites got caught out due to their pride. I have to read my Bible with the understanding that not everything written in it is written to me, though they are written for me. And the reason for this is that the Bible was written to different types of people. Some of these groups of people are believers, non-believers, Pharisees, Greeks, and Gnostics. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I need to read my Bible being aware of not just what is being said, but who is it being said to. This is easier said than done. And when we get this detail wrong, we incorrectly interpret what God is saying. You and I are New Testament Christians, or you and I are New Contract Christians. Our Bibles are divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament starts with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it finishes with Revelations. Now, I need to be aware that my contract as a new Christian only starts with the death of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Not everything Jesus said is to me, is to us. 
Matthew 19, the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Jesus answers, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus' answer may be true for the rich young ruler, but that answer is not true for you and me. The last thing I want to add to in re- in, in, the last thing I want to add in regi- regarding reading my Bible is that I must understand that when I read it, I must read with the understanding of what was achieved through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's look at sin. Romans five seventeen. Romans five seventeen says, "For if one man's sin or one man's offence death reigns through that one." Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Just break that down a bit. By one man's sin, sin reigned. That one man is Adam from the garden. So we can say it like this. Because of Adam's sin, death reigned. By one offense, death reigned over mankind. That offense was not yours or mine. It was Adam's. So you and I die not because of our sin, but because of Adam's. And that means that you and I are not sinners because of what you and I have done, but because of what Adam has done. I'm going to repeat myself. You and I are not sinners because of anything that we have done. We are sinners because our great, 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 great ancestor Adam sinned. I am a sinner not because of anything I do. I am a sinner because of Adam's sin. I'm I'm just interpreting what the Bible says, by the way. I'm not making this stuff up. My boys eat mouldy food they've performed haka they say mouldy words and they've been to their family marae and yet all these things don't all these things they do isn't what makes them mouldy they are mouldy because I am not because of what they do they aren't mouldy because of what they do and you and I aren't sinners because of what we do This is so important to understand. We're talking about foundational stuff here. If we can't get our heads around sin, then I'm going to be honest, sin will rule and reign over your life for the rest of your life. The law. Again, in Christian circles, we will hear about the law. The law is basically the Ten Commandments given to Moses. There are a whole lot of other laws that go with them. And the laws cover things such as hygiene, what to eat, and it even has a dress code. Now, all this law stuff is found in the Old Testament of the Bible. And the people could not maintain the law. So they had to sacrifice animals to cover their infringements, their shortcomings, their sins, because they kept failing in their contract obligations. The sacrifice of animals cannot take away sin. It could only cover sin. But God had this wonderful plan, which he had before man, sin, before man sinned. 
in which Jesus would come to earth and be the sacrifice that would not just cover but take away the sins of man. The Bible says that God placed the sin of man into the body of Jesus Christ. We need to take a moment here. We just need, we need to imagine that, all right? We need to imagine that sin wasn't placed on top of him. It wasn't placed on the cross as such. The Word says that God, the Father, took our sins and actually put it into the body of Jesus Christ. That's where sin is. And then Jesus got dealt to. The Word says that after his beatings, Jesus was unrecognizable. Why did Jesus get beaten up after God put our sin in him? Isaiah 53, 54 says, because he was wounded for our sins. See, what did God do? God the Father, he took our sin, he put it into the body of Jesus Christ, and then Jesus was beaten. Why? For our sin. That's important to know. Jesus was beaten for our sin. It's also important to note that Jesus' last words on the cross were, it is finished. How does Jesus being wounded and saying it is finished as he died on the cross affect new contract believers? Let's look at what our new contract says. Hebrews 10, 16 to 17. This is the covenant, or this is the contract. This is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, says the Lord. Here's the contract. God will put his laws into our hearts, and he will write them on our minds. That's the contract. Here's the term. The term is in verse 17. Our sins and lawless deeds, God will remember no more. Here's the term. Our sins and our lawless deeds, God will remember no more. <clears throat> I got this wrong, and I got this wrong for years. So if you can imagine a timeline. So on that wall there, that was the year I was born, 1990. Over that year, over there, that's the year that I will die. Okay, so over here, I made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And I said, you know what, God, I fall short of your glory, and I'm sorry. And I knew this, so I said this with the understanding of knowing that God forgives me for my sins. What I did, because I was short in my thinking, was this. Why not, I went like this. All my sins from the day I was born to now, and where I am now. That's what I thought it meant when God says, I forgive you for all your sins. I'm God. There's Rob over there. So Rob becomes a Christian, and he's, ask, um, he's asking God to forgive him. This is God. When God said to me, when he says to you and I, I forgive you for all our sins, he did not look at the day I was born to the moment that I came, became a Christian. He looked from the moment I was born to the day I died.
when God forgives us for our sins, He forgives us for the sins we did yesterday, He forgives us for the sins we will do today, and He'll forgive us for the sins that we will do in the future. And we need to understand that, because what I found is when I didn't understand that, and I didn't want to sin, and I... The next day I would go and sin, all of a sudden I had a struggle going on. And I thought that what I had to do is I had to go back to God and I had to go through this process again because I needed to be forgiven again. What I failed to understand was that when God said, in the term of my new contract and our new contract, I remember your sins no more, he was talking also about the ones he saw I would do in the future. God hates sin. And the Bible says God has a righteous anger at sin. And people will be judged because of sin and will suffer the consequences of his anger. Here's a truth for believers. All of God's righteous anger for the sins of you and I have been taken care of through the beating of the body of Jesus Christ. All of God's anger that he would have had towards you changed when you became a believer. And he took it out on Jesus. Two Corinthians five seventeen says, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. We read in the Old Testament and in Revelations about an angry God. And because of that, it is so easy to assume that when we do wrong, God gets angry at us. We are not the people of the Old Testament, nor are we the people of Revelations. God's anger at sin of Christians was taken out on Jesus. And the word goes on to say that after his beating, Jesus was unrecognizable. Being a Christian doesn't excuse the punishment for our sins. It just means that we weren't the ones that paid. Here's another moment. Let's talk about intentional and unintentional sin. Intentional sin. Intentional sin is when I willfully break God's law. Getting drunk on purpose. Unintentional sin is when I break God's law by accident. I didn't know they spiked the punch, and now I'm drunk. God forgives you, Leanne. Apart from Hebrews 26, which the writer is speaking to a group of Christians who were willing to reject the sacrifice of Jesus and return to killing animals again, intentional and unintentional sin is only spoken of in the Old Testament. But as New Testament Christians... We have to view that through the death of Jesus on the cross. There is no intentional and unintentional sin for you and I. It's just sin. And as the terms of our contract say, all my sins are forgiven. Let's take another moment. Confessing your sins does not clean you from your sins. When we pray and we say, God, I have sinned, that does not clean you from your sin. 
1 John 1 7 says, It is only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sins. Don't confess your sins to be forgiven. Confess your sins because you're already forgiven. Remember, forgiveness is not dependent on what we do, but on what Jesus has already done. As an example, as a parent, when one of our children makes a mistake, makes a sin, do we only forgive them when they confess their mistake? Of course not. They were already forgiven before they said or did anything. On the subject of confession, 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember when I said that not everything written in the Bible is to me? This is one of those situations. John is not talking to Christians. He's talking to a group of people called the Gnostics. So John is saying to unbelievers, if you confess your sins, God is true and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. As Christians, we don't need to confess our sins to be forgiven because we're already forgiven. Addictive behavior in Christians. Addictive behavior in Christians happens when we are not in control of our sinful nature. And Christians that suffer from addictive behavior find themselves in this cycle. I don't want to do my addictive behavior. Oh no, I have done my addictive behavior. Now I feel condemnation. So now I do my addictive behavior, behavior to cover the feeling of condemnation. And the cycle starts again. Christians with addictive behavior are then caught up in a mental battle where they believe that they must fight their sinful nature to overcome the condition. This is not true. This strategy will fail you and leave you believing that you are a failure, causing you to be in a worse state than when you began. Because not only do you have to contend with this addictive behavior, but now you are under the feeling of condemnation. The truth, so if you're out there and you have some addictive struggles, here, here's the truth. The truth behind why Christians can't overcome wrong addictive behavior is this. They don't know that their sinful nature died with Jesus. They think it's still alive, wanting what it wants. It's a lie. Your sinful nature, our sinful nature, is as dead as Jesus was on the cross. If you believe Jesus was dead on the cross, then you need the revelation that your sinful nature died too. This is Romans 6. Uh, I had d addictive behavior. So I know what it's like to be into that. And it was just, it was just a very, very, very vicious circle until, I, until God gave me this revelation. See, I knew this much. I knew Jesus died. I got that point. But what I, what I didn't understand, and it's in Romans 6, is, is actually what it says is that when Jesus died, so did my sinful nature. 
once I got the revelation that my sinful nature was dead, I actually stopped feeding it. Have you ever been to the zoo and fed a dead animal? No, but I, I'm, I am. I, you know, do you know what I'm saying? That, that's the thing. I want to encourage people. It's, it, you know, programs are good and all of that and encouragement and prayer and all those things. You, you know, you, you need all those things. But the first and foremost, because we're talking about foundational stuff for us as Christians, that if you have got that struggle, it's because of this. You cannot see, you do not understand that when Jesus died for you, so did your sinful nature. And just as adamant, and just as I know that I know that I know that Jesus died for me, that's what I need to be with my sinful nature, that I know that I know that I know that it died as well. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. This is Romans 6. Here's a summary of sin. <clears throat> we are not sinners because of anything we have done, but because of Adam. God took all our sins and he put them into the body of Jesus Christ. In the new contract between God and man, all our sins are forgiven. Those are the sins we did yesterday, the sins we'll do today, and the sins we'll do in the future. God is no longer, nor will he ever be angry with us again. As he took out his anger for our sins on the Son, Jesus. I don't owe anything. We don't owe anything for our sins. And it is the blood of Jesus that continues to cleanse us of our sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, so did our sinful nature. Righteousness. Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigns through that one, so that's Adam, because of Adam's sin, death reigns through that one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. The gift of righteousness. Can we put the definition of um, David? David, can you put the definition of righteousness on the thingy? Thanks. The gift of righteousness. The definition of the word gift is something given willingly without payment. So we could say that in Romans 5.17, Jesus has willingly, without payment, given us righteousness. What's righteousness? It's there in the definition. As new contract Christians, we live in a world culture where to get anywhere, you have to work hard. You want to pass those exams? Study hard. Want that promotion at work? Perform well. Want to make those gains at the gym? Work your butt off. All of this is about self-effort. If you put the effort in, you will be rewarded. I don't have an issue with this. I want my boys to study hard. But as a New Testament Christian, what I can't do is I can't bring the self-effort thinking into my relationship with God. I'll say that again. As a New Testament Christian, I cannot bring the self-effort mentality into my relationship with God. I don't have to work at all to please God or to receive a blessing or a healing. I don't have to do anything to be forgiven or to gain favor. I don't have to do anything to get my prayers answered or to get God to hear me. And the reason for this is the gift of righteousness 
it's in the definition of righteousness. The justified person is declared entitled to all the advantages and rewards arising from perfect obedience to the law. Just as we were sinners because of someone else, Adam, we are also righteous because of someone else, Jesus. Jesus, on his way to the cross, took off his robe of righteousness and gave it to you and me. And he took our sin-filled robe onto him. And what that means is when our God, our Father, looks and treats us as if he would his son, Jesus. Boys, can I have you coming up, please? When Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying, Rob, you don't have to do anything. I've done it for you. The attitude our Heavenly Father wants us to have is this. He looks at you and me the same way he looks at Jesus. Here's a question. Does anybody think that God the Father looks at Jesus in a rude, in a angry, in a crazy, in a rejected, in some sort of negative way when Jesus said it is finished he was saying Rob you don't have to do anything I've done it for you the attitude the, the mindset that our heavenly father wants us to have is he looks at us the same way he looks at Jesus he treats us the same way he treats Jesus You and I don't have to do anything to get in God's good books. We're already there. Even when we sin. Romans 5.17 says, For by Adam's sin death reigned over all mankind much more then for those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Abundance of grace. Can I have the, get the definition of grace up there, please? Here is a list of other words that we could use instead of abundance. Basketful, boatload, mass, swarm, ex excess, oversupply. This is a word. Kazillion. Mountain, ampleness, overdose, plentitude, copiousness. We have an abundance of, this is grace, because that's what it says in Romans 5, 17, 
an abundance of grace. So we have an abundance of God's favor. We have an abundance of God's good will. We have an abundance of God's goodness, uh, His kindness. And we have an abundance of free, undeserved love and approval from God. And this wasn't after we got saved. This was before we got saved. God didn't go around and clean us up and change robes on us and then said, it's okay that you're, that you're presentable. Here's my grace. It's always been there. Even when, we were fash- even when we were bashing the face of Jesus. Here's a moment. Stop saying, I can't do that. Stop doubting yourself. Because when we do, what we are saying is, I don't have enough grace to do it. And if we are saying, I don't have enough grace, then what we are saying is, Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead is not enough for me and I need more. It's just time as a house, time as a people, as a family, that we just stop doubting the ability that God's given us. This is for those who struggle with condemnation. we are created in the image of God and God is a God of justice which means that we are wired to see wrongful stuff punished that's why more often than not when we watch a movie and a bad guy does something bad there's a part of us that wants to see justice done to them if by the end of the movie justice has been dealt to the bad guy we tend to be at peace with the ending of the movie. But watch a movie where the bad guy gets away with their bad acts, especially when they're really hideous, and we are left with an uneasy feeling. And that's because we are naturally wired to see punishment for wrongful acts. It's so important to see when I sin that there was a punishment for my sin. Because anybody who's been under condemnation, they'd be the first to say, you don't need to go up to tell somebody under condemnation you've done done wrong. They're the first ones that keep telling themselves, I've done wrong. That's the justice side in us that God created. This, this is to help us be set free. This is to help us get our foundational correct. It's important for us to see that there was a punishment for your sin, for our sin. And that punishment was willingly paid for by Jesus. If you, I'm just saying, if you you suffer from condemnation, you know, there's that, that voice that goes around, man, I've done it again. Oh no, I've done it again. Because what condemnation does, it draws us away from God. And if you are one of those, I'm trying to tell you that the truth to set you free is this. Because what it is, is you know why you're saying, this is what I'm trying to say, the reason why you're saying, oh no, I've done it again, because there's a part of you that says, you know what, when there is wrong, there needs to be a justice act. 
And what I'm trying to say is you'll find your freedom when you look at the, when you look at the cross and go, that, that sin, and it's probably your own, that sin that is wrong, it's okay. The penalty's been paid there. And when I look at the cross and see the penalty's been paid there, all of a sudden I can't feel like that because my justice kicks in and says justice has been paid. If you feel bad and guilty for sins, it's only because we don't fully understand that Jesus paid for our sins. God does not condemn us. God does not condemn us. Just as Jesus said to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, I don't condemn you. Sin no more. See the order it came in? Jesus, Jesus didn't say, sin no more, and I won't condemn you. He said, I don't condemn you. Sin no more. I just want to break it off right now because as Christians, it's one of the biggest things that we will ever face. And we have to be honest. And those who have walked in the Lord long enough, you know what? You're going to put your hand up if, you know, if I was asking you to, to go, yeah, there have been bouts, there have been times, seasons, maybe years of my life where I've suffered under condemnation. Ready, Vance? All right. That's my word. <clears throat> um, I'm going to go somewhere, and then I'm going to hand it over to Nirvana in one of those awkward spots. I guess the only other thing um, that I want to share is um, I want to talk about shame. Because in all of this, the reality is, 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 is that if we can get these things right, the things that I talked about this morning, if we can get those things right in our, foundational, in our foundation, what it does is it leaves us access and openness to God. And that's, that's what we need. Without that, it's... So I want to talk about shame, because that's the other thing that I found. Shame and sin, they're sort of like, they go hand in hand. First time I experienced shame was um, when I was adopted. Um, I was three months old, and um, I was adopted out of a, a Māori family, or adopted for, out of a Māori mum um, into a Pākehā family. Um, and the reali reality is, is, is this, is, is that um, I came to realize that one day that, you know what, Māori families don't do that. Māori families don't let go of their own. They actually whangaied out. So if my mum didn't want me, then technically, realistically, what should have happened is an auntie and uncle should have put their hand up and said, uh, he's mine. And that didn't happen for me. And so with that, I actually grew up with shame because I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not good enough to be Māori. I didn't realize is when I became a Christian that that shame stopped me from going to see God. I was adopted by this family, and they're a good family and a loving family. And what I'm about to say this is not what this did not come from this family. But I was sexually abused. Again, shame came in. And when I came, became a Christian, what I didn't realize was the element of shame that could stop me from coming into the kingdom. Stand up for me, Daniel. So even though I would come and I'd do this and I'd do this and I'd hang around in Christian circles, the reality was is, is, is actually I still had this robe on because it was shamed. Shame causes us to keep our distance from God. 
matter how close you want to get to him. Say something. Man, I just want to say this, you know. If there's anything that was said this morning, where you think, that's me. I just want to pray, you know what? Today is a good day to get it right. Sometimes, you know, I just had this thing the other, uh, this morning, and it was just like this. You know, I started off with this journey as a Christian, and, and I was like, woohoo, and I was off. And then it was like somewhere in the midst of that journey, you know, I started to collect stuff and gather stuff, and I just got heavy, and, and I lost my ways in some of this stuff. And things that weren't important became important, and things that should have been important became less important. And I just felt like during worship this morning, what God wanted to do is say, you know what? Let's just clean it out again in Jesus' name. I really believe that actually there are some people that suffer from condemnation and God wants to set you free. If you stay in condemnation, you'll never be set free and the enemy will have his way. And that's the truth. And the only way to get out of condemnation is if you could put your hand up and go, I'm going to come out from being hidden. I really believe that there are things that happen in people's lives where shame is coming. And you know what? And sometimes when shame comes in, one of the biggest lies that it says is it says it's your fault. It wasn't my fault that somebody did what they did to me. But shame made me believe that it was. And so because I believed that it was, the last thing I wanted to do was get close to God because I thought I'd done something wrong. And I just really believe this morning that what God wants to do is because He can see and He knows the truth. And he just wants to say, hey, I know it wasn't just your fault. But we need to be like the woman with the bleeding problem. You know what? She stepped out of her comfort zone because she wanted to be set free. And I just want to pray that this morning in Jesus' name. I want to pray, you know what? Maybe you've seen sin in a wrong way. Maybe you didn't realize that this sinful nature was actually dead. God just wants to sort some stuff out this morning. He just wants to recorrect correct the plumb line and your foundation has been out by a millimeter or two. And he's going to recorrect it this morning. And all we need to do is just take courage to go, you know what? I'm going to come forward, God, that you would have your way in me. It has to be about him and it has to be all in. One of the boys, they said, you know what? Can't be half in and can't be half out. And God doesn't want that for his people. And I just want to encourage people this morning that, you know what? Like I shared with somebody who once said to me with some wise words, God just wants our heart. No matter what's in there. And I do, I just want to encourage Fano that if that's you this morning, that you know what? You would come up. If you want prayer, we'll pray for you. But we don't need to pray for you. But what you do need to do if you do come up, you just need to get it right. Your Father in heaven loves you so, so much. And He just wants you to know that this morning. He's not interested in your history. So let's just close our eyes. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Yeah, I just really feel like God's going to do some work, and He is doing some work. So if that just registered with you, um, we'll just take a moment. Um, yeah. Don't move on too quick. Yeah, because I really feel like God wants to do some work. Um, if you felt that word was for you, just about condemnation and shame, like I really encourage you to come out. We're, we're going to get into some worship now. 
Um, but yeah, I just feel like people need to respond because that's what's been happening is, um, like I loved Rob's word that sometimes we collect it and we don't even realize it. So yeah, if you really felt that word for you, I just encourage you to come on up. Um, but we're going to stand up and we're going to get into some worship.
Father, we thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that we are known. There's no condemnation in those of Christ Jesus. And this morning, Lord God, we have been set free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And this morning, Lord God, as you're bringing healing and wholeness to hearts this morning and lives, Lord God, I pray there'll be a shift in our thinking of ourselves, a shift in our thinking of others. Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for making us whole. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you just give someone just a hug? If they hug us for ages, go for it. Oh. 